0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650 Friday edition of the show. I'm Jamie Dodd, my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance Also covering the team at The Athletic, Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at D-L-E-A-M-C.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintech! Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews, sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. What's going on, Janser?
1: Canucks win again. Yeah, what else is new? (laughs) What else is new? It must be a day that ends with why. Another comfortable win for the (laughs) Vancouver Canucks. I think think Rick Tockett and the Canucks need to convince lindholm that he's debuting every Every game every game is a debut of some sort yeah so it's like debuting on you know debuting in the flying skate that'll be one Mm. that's a good one well that was yesterday uh so debuting in your normal home jersey yes you've still got that hockey net in canada debut at home ooh there you go (laughs) (laughs) sure yeah no but you know what we have to get thin like whatever it takes debuting against the Winnipeg Jets as a Canuck. (laughs) They need to come up with debuts because the guy kills it. The uh, debutante. The debutante. That's right. (laughs) Just coming out ball after coming out
0: ball for (laughs) Elias Lindholm here as a member of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Yeah, no, another two goals for him. Uh, Let's get right into it. Lots to get into today, so let's do the whiteboard.
1: All right now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh?
0: Your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks today, February 16th, and uh, yeah, stop me if you've heard this one before. The Canucks win. They're back at Rogers Arena. They beat the Red Wings 4-1 and extract revenge in the best way, in all seriousness, in the best possible way on Jake Wallman by beating the team. And then Nikita Zadorov hitting the gritty late on him, which is that that was always the best way to
1: do it rather than running around. Oh, I think it was a masterclass. Go win and then have some fun. Legitimately, I don't think you could have handled this better. I mean, Garland went after him a little bit early. Right. But didn't Mm -hmm. get Didn't get penalized for it. Just like it was a it was a sign to the player. Keep your head up. There was never any sign of we're focusing on anything
0: other than the win. Yes, right. You know what I mean. It was never like because we had this discussion with but with Yannick. They,
1: they chased him. Well, a bit, they knew
0: about it, but it wasn't did. like it was always secondary to. By the way, we're going to win first.
1: Yeah. Then maybe we'll pay some extra attention. to you. Well, and then they score three goals with him on the ice. Yeah. So he eats three dashes. Um, Zadorov, who scores, does the gritty, mm-hmm. and like I even loved Ian Cole's commentary with Dan Murphy beforehand. You know, like. If you don't want someone to celebrate like that, don't get scored on. Yep. I, I just thought it was honestly just about a perfect way to have handled it. Canucks come out on top. Womp womp for Jake Wallman and the Jake uh, womp I thought there was a
0: Dorov quote <laughs> after the game too, as well. Yeah, I think he I think he used it twice actually. He liked it so much. First in a walk off with uh, with Bick and Sad on the post game show, and then also in the media scrum where they asked him if he's been practicing the gritty, not as much as the guys in red do, which is pretty good. Pretty good from Very Nikita good. Uh So, yeah, no, that that element of it was handled basically uh, as well as it possibly could have been by the Vancouver Canucks. As you mentioned, you know, a lot of focus on, obviously, Elias Lindholm playing his first game in, uh, in Rogers Arena as a Canuck. Also focus on the third line, given what they would do without Dakota Joshua there. Um, overall, what do you think of the game from uh, just kind of a, a run of play perspective?
1: Yeah, I thought it was a dominant first half. For Vancouver. I don't think they were necessarily at their best, quote unquote, or or, mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't I I it didn't feel to me like they generated a lot of really high quality scoring chances. Yeah, I don't know if I would call it dominant. I thought they I thought they controlled the game and just were able to set up shop in the Red Wings zone at will, five on five, for the first thirty minutes of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then it felt like too many penalties kind of took the wind out of yeah. their sail in the second half and just sort of allowed, I mean, Detroit didn't hang around and that the result wasn't really in suspense, but Detroit was testing them perhaps more than you'd, you'd have appreciated in part because the Canucks were shorthanded so often and in part because there's a cost to being shorthanded so often. But for the first half hour, it was like every time the Canucks wanted to establish zone time, um, they were able to, it, That that's what it felt like to me. I thought. The Hughes-Heronic uh, pair was excellent. Um, I didn't. I didn't know that anything else from the team's game was at, at as high a level as mm-hmm. that pair. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, it was a really solid performance in building the lead, in my view. I thought. Yeah. It was, I thought it was one of their better games uh, in a couple weeks.
0: I don't think it was dominant, but it was just there was also no doubt about who the better team was at any point yeah. in the game. You know what I mean? It was just kind of that we don't need to be dominant necessarily to show that we're better than the Detroit Red Wings. And I think the biggest thing that stands out to me is just, they they were never under any pressure. Really. There was never, there were very, very few like hairy moments. I know Pat, uh, I know Thatcher Demko had to make uh, a few big saves, including one on Patrick Kane late on the penalty, on the penalty kill. But at five on five, it was just a very calm game by the Canucks. Now, do you want to see them, as you said, maybe sp- generate a few more scoring chances? Yeah, absolutely. But if that's your kind of baseline to fall back on against, you know, good but not great teams like the Detroit Red Wings, I mean, you're going to win a lot of games. You're going to have a lot of results like that night. If uh, if that's kind of your, you know, not your highest gear, but a, a notch or two down, and you're still able to play like that, yeah, that's kind I, of
1: my takeaway. I, I agree with that. the The defense played again. I just, you know, I'm honestly just sometimes so surprised by the way that this team's able to manufacture goals absent really high dangerous uh, opportunities. You know, like it's – we've seen it 10, 15 times this season. I mean, long distance JT Miller goal off a turnover. Mm-hmm. Long distance Elias Lindholm wrist shot. That wrist shot was sick, by the way. It was a, um, a really good shot. Yeah. Still from a, a way too far out
0: for, yeah. you know, the goalie wants it back. The these 100% wants
1: it back. But it was a wicked shot. It was a wicked shot. And then um, Zadorov blink if you miss it. And then the Lindholm the, – you know, they had one goal basically off a, off a real – uh, like in the home plate area scoring chance. And it's it just, but it we've seen this same script from this team so often that at some point it's just like, yep, yeah, that's just kind of what they do. Especially, yeah. especially if your goaltender's having anything like an off night. Mm-hmm. They will find a way to put pucks past you, no doubt about it.
0: Uh, what do you think of the the Swedish line, Niels Hoaglander with Elias Pettersson and Elias Lindholm? Because I know Rick Tockett had uh, a lot of praise for, or at least some praise for Niels Hoaglander after the game. And, you know, we were talking about on the show yesterday. It feels like he sh- he's deserve- he- he's deserving of a long look in the top six at this point. And, you know, that line clicks a little bit. He makes some good plays. And it feels like Tocket is starting to appreciate uh, more and more what Hoaglander can do in that type of role.
1: I-, I just want to tell everyone in advance that, like, Swedish House Mafia will never be a nickname for a line. <laughs> First of all, everyone needs to chill on the line nicknames. <laughs> like
0: just, there's been like one that's really stuck in the last like 30 years of Canucks history. It's the West Coast Express. <laughs> well, lotto's, lotto's lotto stuck. line. Sorry, okay, two. The lotto line. Yeah, there's been two in the last like 30 years that have really stuck. So let's
1: just like the the mattress line. <laughs> yeah, that was good at least. Yeah, that's like funny, but it's like that's a that's a footnote I, at best. I just don't like every time they put three Swedish players together or whatever. It's like Swedish House Mafia, and it's like. Stop it.
0: <laughs> yeah. Unless it's, unless it's gold. Unless it's like solid gold. We don't need to do the line name thing. Just <laughs> For shorthand, we just call it the Swedish line. That's fine.
1: Doesn't need to be more than that. We don't need to go any farther. <laughs> or you can just call it the Lindholm line. That's true. On, That's like true. a normal person. Anyway. Um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. Yeah. I thought Hoaglander played really well, to be honest. Yeah, me too. I it- thought Lindholm played really well. I still I still like Pedersen better in the middle, but I definitely agree with Rick Tockett that Lindholm's a center. Mm. You know, so it, it, it'll be interesting to navigate at the end of the day if you have too many centermen. That's a good problem to have, right? That's like, a yeah, very we're, good not gonna, very we're not good gonna we're not gonna spend time to um, breaking that down. Uh, the I, I thought the Miller line was better than the, the Swedish line. All right, personally, I I I I really like that Miller Besser suitor fit. Honestly, I really like it. I want to see more of it. Um, and then and, and then I honestly thought the most interesting thing was Garland less than 10 minutes 5-on-5. Five five. Mm-hmm. He played the fourth fewest minutes, which I, I think that, that line wasn't bad or anything. It didn't have its normal joie de vivre. Nope. Uh, its normal Joshua-driven yep. <laughs> de vivre. De vivre. <laughs> that,
0: that was an intensely stupid joke. I'm
1: sorry. I loved it. <laughs> um, Hit me in the solar plexus. Anyway. But, okay, so here's my question to you. How much does Joshua's size help keep Garland and Bluger's minutes higher? I think probably a lot. I I mean, I wouldn't have thought that yesterday, talking about how that line might perform. But seeing the usage last night, I, I started wondering, like, you know, does Joshua's defensive reliability and his size earn more rope for that line in general? Um, early returns, only one game. Doesn't sound like Joshua will play Saturday, so we'll Mm -hmm. probably see this sample expand a little bit further. Hopefully not too much further. But, um, you know, that that to me is a major storyline because that line's been such a crucial part of how this team plays. And, you know, if if Garland's going to play, like, true third-line fringe fourth-line minutes, I mean, you are taking some clicks off your fastball. So that was sort of the one... Spot of not concern, just a question that I that I sort of had stemming from last night's game, and I guess I guess one with some implications for hey maybe this team should make sure to prioritize getting more forward size at the deadline with size right yeah, like, so that you can kind of avoid that situation
0: if it if there's an injury or something like that
1: if you really do need Garland to be paired with a with a winger with some heft and defensive reliability if you're going to feel comfortable using that line heavily. Then I, I actually think forward size is like maybe maybe the thing you need most. Uh, mm. One more guy with some size. Hopefully they can kill some penalties. By
0: the way, we we told everyone to chill with the uh, the line names, and apparently our listeners interpreted that as an invitation to just send in <laughs> line name suggestions. So I mean, our I inbox it. is just flooded. I'm not gonna read them out loud. I'm reading them obviously to myself. But uh, you know what, you guys? Hey, it's Friday. You do you. Send in whatever you want today. Anything goes. Truly. Um, Okay, let's move on from the game and the headlines. Are, just the, because, are any of them good? Uh, well, no, there are a lot of the same suggestions. You know, IKEA line, etc. Like, oh yeah, things yeah. like classic. that. Classic, right? Yeah, <laughs> so classic. Um, let's move on to uh, to the broadsheet, just because there's a there was a lot. You know, Rick Dollywell was on Halford and Bruff, and it was, even for Dollywell standards, a very newsy hit with lots of uh, interesting tidbits. And I also wanted to pass this along uh, quickly from Elliot Friedman on 32 Thoughts, uh, talking about what the Canucks might do. Very interesting quote from Friedman. I just don't believe Rutherford is done. I think he could do anything. And he also says, yes, they'll consider chemistry because they've had such a good year. How much do you want to rock the boat? But he goes on to say, I know his M.O., and it's to be aggressive. So that is Friedman with uh, his thinking on what Jim Rutherford and the Canucks might do ahead of March 8th. And what a delightful quote. He could do anything. It gets the mind turning, thinking, okay, what could that possibly mean? And look, I think he's right. Like, I could see anything from... You know, a fifth-round pick for a depth defenseman, and that's all that happens between now and then, to, like, multiple players from last night's lineup being out and new guys coming in and replacing them. I could see the entire spectrum and anything in between those two points.
1: Yeah, let's go. <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, if something big comes comes their way, I'm sure they'll pounce. I, I like that. I, I like the idea. 100%. Especially with the way this team is positioned, I love the idea of using... You know, they, and I was
0: like every win to me is more like you could say like well hey they're winning do you need to tinker but to me every win pushes more in this is the year, right? Like every time they win a game, every time they have a good showing, to me that moves the needle slightly to let's go out let's go out and try to do something else uh, to move the needle even
1: more. Right. Yeah, I sure. I, I I'm I'm okay with that logic, but for me it's more that I like the idea of buying at the deadline. With the long term in mind, mm. I like the Hampus Lindholm, Charlie Coyle, Boston Bruins model. If you are gonna pay anyway, right? If you are if you are gonna pay a, and part with assets anyway for a rental, might as well bring in real value. Might as well bring in, you know, something to strengthen like a three or four year mm-hmm. that that Demco Hughes window uh, that we've been talking about on this program anyway, um, as uh, you know, in for next season and beyond. So, I would very much like to see a big swing but but again it it matters more that the right piece shakes loose yeah you know yeah um, in some ways it's out of their control you can you can want to be aggressive all you want but the the piece has to be out there the other player has to be out there yeah I, I so you know we'll we'll see how it goes I mean I I'd be super enthusiastic obviously about that type of deal like a longer term fit type deal mm-hmm. um would would you be would you share that level of excitement for like Chris Tana?
0: I'd be really excited
1: for Tannen, <laughs> very excited yeah, for Chris Tannen. And I think now, the, that might be the only other rental plausible rental that I'd be very, very excited about. Well, I just don't think t- you'd view Tannen as a rental. Mm, that's you probably You see what fair. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I, I guess that's the that's the fly in the ointment, right? We'd be analyzing it like a rental, but it really might but not. But realistically, there'd be a very
0: good chance it wouldn't be a rental. Yeah, yeah that's fair. Um, but yes, I would be very excited about Chris Tanev. Speaking of Chris Tanev, Rick Dollywell, as I mentioned on Halford and Bruff, his thoughts on the Canucks' potential trade deadline plans says their preference, preference is not to trade another first-round pick, but notes that hockey people can always change their minds. Uh, he also goes on to say, you know, the price on Tanev is steep. The Canucks haven't given up on pursuing Tanev and says, when you like a player as much as you like Tanev, you've got to get creative. And that's why, as much as we've heard, you know – Oh, is it going to be too steep a price for them? How does the salary cap work? Again, think back to Patrick L. V. saying, you know, talking about how this trade came together. And every day, Jim Rutherford is saying, "Stay on it, stay on it, stay on it." If they like a player as much as it appears that they like Chris Tanev, and we know that they do, it's just really hard for me to rule out Jim Rutherford finding a way to make it happen, whatever hoops they have to jump through. If there's any front office that's going to be creative and aggressive enough to do it, it feels like it's this one.
1: The the only the only mitigating thing that I'd add into that equation here is, you know, I, I do think the Canucks have already, uh, if the Canucks were willing to part with the first to get Chris Tanev, sure. they would have done it. Sure. They would have done it in the Lindholm trade. They had the inside track. There was a material disagreement about the valuation of that player. The Calgary Flames believe they can get a first for Chris Tanev. Um, we'll see if they're right. But if they are, I don't think the Canucks are playing in that pond. I don't think even their aggression is going to push them into that. Push them them to a level that they've already decided they're not willing to go to. Right. Like, and and I think that's the old school. You can't ignore the old school exec stuff. Like, Jim Rutherford's not going to draw a line in the sand and then step over that Mm. line. Like, he can't. That's not, it's just not. How You do business if he's
0: already told a trade partner, I'm not doing a first round pick for player X, he's not going to circle back and be I, like,
1: ah, Actually, now that it's at the I, deadline, I would that that would be my read on him, but I but I suppose I suppose the only thing would be, you know, I don't believe you can get that. Yeah, oh, you can, all <laughs> okay. right, well, fine, <laughs> okay, you, you know, my bad, <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in, all so right. So, I guess, I look, I guess maybe, um, but Rutherford seems to me to be more of a guy who goes and aggressively makes a plan B. As opposed to a guy who's gonna right, step over a line right. in the sand previously drawn. So um I guess the question for me is just like what other plan
0: B's develop. Well the, a- and how
1: big is the gap between Tanev and Plan B. And, and and here's the other one to monitor on Chris Tanev, right? Which is even if he gets dealt to Dallas or Edmonton mm-hmm. or the Canuc- the Canucks are gonna be in on him come mm-hmm. July. You know, like without question. And and sort of the drama for me is really the Toronto thing. Like in the event that Toronto gets him, do they sign? Does he still shake loose? And and I think there is a sense that, you know, if he if he ended up in in the Maple Leafs organization, maybe he's not someone the Canucks chase. Come the summer, any other team, I I think that'll still be a consideration for the team whether or not they pay. Uh, and spend assets to get him at the deadline. That's the dynamic there.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes sense. Um, Okay, I just want to run through a a few other tidbits from Rick Dollywell here. Maybe we can put a pin in them and kind of dive into them in a little bit more uh, detail later in the show as we continue with the whiteboard. Uh, Just update on Castle Emphasizing again, this is Rick Dollywall on Halford and Bruff this morning. Canucks are taking it slow. Haven't decided if he could play games with Abbotsford. There is a path to him doing that by signing a PTO. So, you know, as much as we kind of all see where this is going, it feels like the Canucks are also, and I think this is very wise, right? As we talk about the potential opportunity cost of using salary cap space on Phil Kessel, take it as slow as possible. Give yourself as much flexibility uh, to see where it's go, where it goes, and when he's going. To be ready. Dollywell also says Canucks have indicated they want to keep Teddy Bluger. Wouldn't be surprised if he's the first of their many, many UFAs they try to sign. Daliwa also says doesn't believe the Canucks have really reached out to any of their UFAs Including Dakota Joshua so far, and also mentions uh, Jacob Truscott, Canucks prospect playing in the University of Michigan, apparently won't sign with the Canucks. That's the latest from Rick Dollywell. He'll be a UFA this summer. Uh, Truscott, fourth round pick in 2020, recently ranked seventh in the Canucks system by your colleague Scott Wheeler at the Athletics of so Signs. Sounds like he will not be signing with the Canucks uh, and will become an unrestricted free agent this summer. Again, we can get back into some of those rumors and reports uh from Rick Dollywall later on in the show.
1: What what are your thoughts on the what was the one before Truscott?
0: Uh no contact with UFAs so far. No, no, Bluger oh, Blueger.
1: What would be what what would your quick just quick gut reaction be to Blueger being the club's
0: priority? Uh he's a center yeah, and he probably hasn't increased his cost as much as Dakota Joshua has. Mm. And he might be like more realistic to get him done because I just keep coming back as much as everyone's saying, Oh, they gotta lock Joshua up. what What would you have to pay Dakota Joshua right now to get him to forego unrestricted free agency? A lot.
1: three and a half times
0: four. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm not getting no, then. seriously. like he's he yeah. is really and he's close to getting more than that. Depending on what he does in he's, the playoffs. He's
1: one goal away. Yeah, he's one big goal in the playoffs away from yeah. being Brian Bickle. Like a goal in a fight in the playoffs. And it's like, <laughs> no,
0: and he's like no, I, th- one of the guys on July on. 1st. You're dead on. So I don't know how you pay him to forego that opportunity. Whereas Bluger, look, he's having a great year. Don't get me wrong. He's going to get a raise. It just feels a little more viable, and he's a center. So
1: that, that would be my read on it. My. my um... My concern would be the Pew suitor of it all, which is that you've got a $1.6 million. You already have center. Pew Suter. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas like Dakota Joshua is kind of one of one. It's true. Now, now I'm sure in, internally the story would be, well, we've got Vasily hmm But I think that's a a lot to ask Vasily Colson to score, you know, 50, uh, score goals at a 20 goal rate and be tough and defensively reliable and elite penalty killer. That's a lot. You know, like Dakota the Joshua. Big ask. Dakota Dakota Joshua's really changed his traject the trajectory of his career across these last two years. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um lineup notes, speaking of Dakota
0: Joshua, uh he will not play Saturday against Winnipeg. Uh Rick Tocket did not have any other uh, update for us on Talkett's, or on Joshua's timeline, I should say. So we'll see. Uh, what develops. The Canucks are on the ice at practice right now. I believe our guy Randy Janda is there. Only thing I've seen is that power play one out early getting in some practice uh, on the ice for the Canucks. So if there's any other lineup information uh, about the Canucks or news or notes from Talkit, we will pass it along to you throughout the course of the show. Playoff odds update. Canucks win. Edmonton loses. So the Canucks now have a seventy. 8% chance to win the Pacific Division. Interestingly, Edmonton and Vegas really neck and neck for second to now. Now, that mostly affects who's going to have home ice in their very, very likely uh, first-round playoff series. But they're right neck and neck, 11 and 10% chances to win uh, the division. And then as you look at the the bottom of the Western Conference playoff race – you know St. Louis uh, beats Edmonton last night, Nashville gets rocked, Calgary loses, Seattle wins. So it's just like a really mixed night of results. So you're looking at a pretty tight spread. Minnesota, St. Louis, Nashville, Calgary, Seattle all projected to finish between 89 and 87 points. So really like a five-way toss-up. Basically a roll of the dice between those five teams to see who was going to uh, going to be in that second wild card spot and of course Fairly likely, not a guarantee by any stretch, but fairly likely that that could end up being uh, the Canucks' first-round playoff opponent. Yeah. The
1: uh, the Blues. The Blues. I mean, they've they've The really... model
0: really doesn't like the Blues as much no. as they've been hot. Recently, it's still very, very low on them as a team. So yep. they don't – there's still only a 20% chance to make the playoffs. But it feels like, like they've Minnesota's
1: like 33%. But the Blues are feel like they've kind of got the inside track uh, now a little 100%. bit. 100%. They've They've – given themselves a bit of a lead that was a pretty impressive four goal outburst for them Mm -hmm. against a a very good Oilers team Um, Canucks for the betting odds the Canucks and the Jets have opened Canucks have opened as minus 130 home favorites Jets plus 110 road dogs that's that's pretty close to just a home ice advantage gap Mm -hmm. from from Vegas in in their assessment of uh, the Canucks and the you know frankly reeling of late Winnipeg Jets uh over under is set at five and a half. Um oh well six. I guess six is consensus. You can get it at five and a half in some places. Uh with steam on the over, you can get plus money on the over. Hellebuck remains the favorite to win the Vesna, by the way. Minus one seventy five Demco plus three twenty five. We're we're gonna get the Vesna finalist matchup, right? Yeah. Right? I think oh a hundred percent. Which Rick Bonus and Rick Talkett aren't go, aren't shying away from
0: that on Saturday night. They better not. They're not going to tap. No, that, that would I, be that would be stunning to me.
1: Yeah, the Brassois, um, especially Smith Dut- Smith the Desmith. The Canucks have a back to back
0: coming up right yep. on Monday and Tuesday. So like, there's your Desmith game. One totally. of those games. Come on, you're. It's going to be Demco.
1: I right, well, I I this is a big one for Demco personally, right? Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. you'd hope that the team is prepared to um, lay out for their star netminder because you know. Get a get a shutout or make a couple of really big saves against Hellebuck narrow, you know, narrow huge. those narrow that gap uh, once again here. Absolutely huge. By the way. OK, that's
0: the whiteboard for today. And uh, by the way, we will talk to Ken Weeb who covers the Jets at one o'clock, a little bit more about uh, Winnipeg season. Uh, got to pass this along, though. We got a metal pole update from Parker and Chilliwack who of course texted in yesterday saying that he blacked out at, on the job site after being hit in the head the smelling with salts the metal yes and then your laugh woke him up a la smelling salts uh, from being unconscious uh, Parker and Chilliwack just texted in listen to the podcast yesterday thanks for your kind words I am okay by some miracle I have no concussion and nothing broken just a nasty bruise and a sore nose that's from Parker and Chilliwack we're so glad to hear that Parker thank you for, for confirming uh, that you're okay and uh, yeah be safe be safe out there everyone we'll take a break get your text in 650 650 to the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, lots more Canucks talk on the way here on Sportsnet 650